Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. It is on the beat live. It is Thursday night, 8 a.m. Thursday night, 8 p.m., folks. I've got my coffee. I thought it was a.m. Got the big crew here tonight. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com sponsoring us. Gregory Hall making sure this thing goes right. Live, Greg Barnes, of course. Isaiah Lucas, Kirsten Clark. We've got the whole on-the-beat crowd for Inside Carolina. I'm going to go to Greg Barnes first. Let's get into this basketball discussion. Uh, We'll see what the YouTube chat brings us, but I want to start here. Carolina's bench play, we have discussed it all year. Um, We have wondered when they will build depth and if they will play depth and if Hubert Davis will play depth. It sure seems that in this week where they played Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, they play again this Saturday against NC State. Those guys look worn out against Boston College, Greg. Um, The shooting woes, I think, are a function of being just gassed. Your thoughts? No, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, after the Tennessee game, Hubert Davis was asked about if the guys were fatigued because they, they looked so lethargic in that game. And he shot back, kind of laughed and said, well, you know, uh, they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. There's no reason for them to be tired. Um, and then, you know, he was asked after the game against BC, and he acknowledged that they were tired. So, um, I, I think that kind of speaks to where they're at. The problem for North Carolina is, is we know they don't have Anthony Harris. Uh, we know Dawson Garcia is not with the team right now. Um, and the time to really build depth has passed because North Carolina is straddling that bubble line for the NCAA tournament. Every single game matters. It means a lot. And I know they've got 11 regular season games left. They need to win as many of those as they can. Um, So now is not the time to be trying to build depth. You should have already had it. And that uh, just wasn't something that Hubert Davis, for whatever reason, wasn't comfortable doing. Maybe the guys weren't quite ready to earn playing time. Maybe he thought he needed to win quickly and early in his first year. Uh, Really don't know exactly what the answer is, but we are where we are. And this is a situation where uh, North Carolina's starters their, their primary rotation guys are just going to have to play a lot of minutes i can't remember a time when north carolina's starters have played at least 34 minutes in back-to-back games um, it's been a long long time and it's, it, i think it's going to be an issue moving forward the fact that north carolina has a set of these saturday monday games uh, is going to prove challenging because yeah they have a little bit of a break now until the state on saturday afternoon but then they got to go to Louisville on a quick turnaround. And then that game was pushed back to Tuesday. But, but these are the games where this is going to pop up. And I'll say this too. This really makes the ACC standings even more important. 
because North Carolina desperately needs a top four seed because you don't want to have to play four games in four days to win the ACC tournament if that's your only way into the NCAA tournament. I think looking at the ACC, you bring up a good point there about the double buy or whatever for, for turn, ACC tournament purposes. But I think ACC, no matter how bad they are, how bad the league is. I mean, it is ridiculous that Miami is number one in the conference or tied for number one is like a nine or 10 seed in some of these bracketal. I mean, that is just unheard of um, going back for years. But I think if Carolina finishes in top four in the ACC, they'll get an NCAA tournament bid just because the conference is going to get at least four. Gregory, your thoughts on that um, and, and how it plays in to the, to the fatigue issue. I mean, they're going to have to win games like Greg said. Being home helps. This streak of being home. I mean, Virginia Tech has been all over the place. Boston College has been all over the place. Carolina's gotten lucky with their tight games schedule-wise being at home. But your take on how important stacking these wins are given how bad the conference is. Well, I mean, it's like the, it's the only way to truly help your seating, right? I mean, it's win and help your seating, but – as much as it's stacking wins, that's the important part because if you suffer losses, like if UNC had lost last night and played as bad as they had done and lost, like what Greg, your story was about, that was the worst shooting percentage that UNC has ever had in a win um, as far as stats have been kept and things like that. What Do they even shoot 30%? 29.1. Yeah, it's just... First time in Carolina history... That- Jones Angels, somebody tweeted this day. It's like 3,000-plus games that they've shot below 30% and won last night yeah. against Boston College. And um, so, like, if they had lost that game, it would have been a Q4 loss, and it just would have completely derailed. Someone asked here, like, UNC has a chance to fight for first place in the ACC against Duke next week. Why is there such, like, a negative connotation around this team sitting at 6-3 and three to ACC play? Well, one is because of how they lost Miami and how they lost to Wake Forest. And two, it's because you see what happened last night where this team can kind of disappear. And yes, fatigue definitely plays a role. Um, and then which leads into some of the stagnate stagnation and st- stuff like that. But if they had lost, then you're just falling off the wheels. And the fact that you can even consider that UNC could have lost that game last night when it was a three point game with not a lot of time left did I mean, Boston College didn't even score a point in like the last seven minutes or something crazy like that. Um, so it was like the fact that you can say that UNC could have lost that game is why is where the negative negative connotation comes into play, in my opinion. And to answer your question, Tommy, it's just that's kind of why it's that important because they can lose these games that they shouldn't be losing if they want to increase the tournament seed. And it's the same way Duke won't get a number one overall seed or not number one overall, but just a number one seed because they don't have enough quad one wins left on their schedule to boost it because the ACC is that down bad. And so you can't boost it to be a one seed for Duke just as UNC can only go so far, but they can fall way more if they lose some of these games than if they win them. Did you say down bad? Yeah. It sounded, okay. I, I was like, dang, Gregory went all in first part of the show. Uh, I say uh, it, it is the ACC is not yeah, good. I misheard the, I mean, Georgia I misheard the D word, state uh, last night. Not not good is I think a, a good way to. Oh my bad. Yeah. Or is that are you you don't understand the terminology of down bad? Is that what I'm hearing? I thought you said another D word, and I was like, come on, man, don't get us FCC uh, 
oh, in yeah, the yeah. first little bit. Isaiah, what does, what does down bad mean? Am I? I know I'm old, but yeah, what does that? It's mean? just like you're just Kirsten smiling. You're just Kirsten, down bad. That? I don't. Yeah, you're just in bad shape. You're in bad you're shape. Yeah. Real like down here. All Urban Dictionary it for you. So Kirsten's down parents and I go back. We're we're probably graduated high school the same year. So. Oh Jesus! Don't let look. I'm probably the granddad of the bunch. Uh, Isaiah Slagle on the chat said Baycott being two for twenty three is the problem, and I get it. I mean that he has struggled mightily, but a lot of that's just being worn out, right? Yeah, no, he just looks tired. I mean, a lot of it's he's getting good looks, but he's tired, and it's hard to focus. Even though they are layoffs, post moves, when you're tired, the easy shots don't fall. Well, let me ask you this. Is it what, – what do you think weighs more, that or since the Miami game, we've seen him defended a completely different way, in my opinion. So what do you – do you think it's kind of a combination or what do you think with that is? Because, I mean, Miami fronted the post and UNC couldn't get the ball to him when they did. Armando still got his double-double, but it wasn't as easy per se. And now he's just having to fight his more – it looks to me that more of his – buckets and baskets are coming on offensive rebounds whereas the bat in the past it was him being able to get his first look up i think he definitely is getting defended differently first look but i feel like he's still getting a lot of good looks close to the basket that that i think i think he would convert if he wasn't as fatigued yeah look baycott struggles against guys that are really physical with him um but that's not much different than most every player not named Tyler Hansrow and some of your elite bigs that are used to that. But Kirsten, as far as defending him differently, I feel like Carolina against Boston College, he was what, one for 13 or whatever. I don't know that he got the ball in and, great spots. Yeah, and I was just going to say that last night. I'm not sure if him being, you know, rough handled in the paint was really much of an issue last night. I think he missed a lot of just wide open chippy shots that should have been made. Um, so I guess you could contribute that to fatigue. Um, and you said not getting the ball in the right place. Um, and again, that might just be from fatigue from the whole team. I mean, like we said, we saw a lot of people standing around a lot, not moving the ball the way they should have. Um, I don't think necessarily guards making the right decisions in terms of shot selection. Um, so, yeah, I think after two, three back-to-back games, a lot of it is fatigue. Um, and I don't know how they can fix that, but just Armando needs to focus on making those shots and easy, chippy, wide-open shots that he missed last night. And you mentioned the guards not making the right decision. That's happening even before we can play the fatigue card here, right? The fatigue card is just recently. So, Greg, I wanted to ask you what you've seen as far as – why the dribbling consistent dribbling too much consistently happens because Hubert has even mentioned it recently that that's where bad things begin to happen. So what are you seeing as far as, because that's not really the fatigue card in my opinion, because the guards were doing it when they were beating Virginia at some, at some points, right. It just, it kind of happens to these, to these guys. Yeah. For whatever reason, um, you know, I I don't want to say it's a U ball or whatever, but, but Caleb and RJ, tend to get a little heavy with dribbling and kind of seeking out their own shots. Um, and I, I think the coaching staff has done a good job, um, you know, dating back to last year of kind of getting those guys to work within the flow of the offense. And so when they do that and Carolina has success, they really cut down on some of that. 
But what you see against teams like Wake Forest and Miami that have athletic guards that really kind of pressure them and make them uncomfortable and really disrupt what North Carolina wants to do, that's when you start to see them get a little bit flustered and you start to see more of that hero ball. You start to see Caleb taking some turnaround jumpers from 18 feet with a hand in his face. Um, and if you look at, you know, against Boston College, BC is not a good defensive team in terms of stats. I thought they played really hard defensively on Wednesday night. Um, so I think they deserve some credit for that. But if you look at what Caleb and RJ did, they were, they were nine of 26 shooting. Uh, Baycott was one of 10. Manic was two of eight. Uh, so when your guards have a significant number more shots than your two bigs do, I think that's a problem from what North Carolina wants to do, especially when you have a guy like Armando. Um, and so no doubt Armando struggling around the, the rim uh, has played a role. I mean, he's had four games in a row where he's really struggled. I know that uh, he had the, the hand tape. Apparently he's got a little bit of a thumb issue. Uh, Hubert Davis dismissed it after the game. You know, Armando's you know, not going to be one to use that as an excuse, but certainly that probably plays somewhat of a role. Um, but he's just having a little bit difficult time at the rim. And I think that puts a little bit more pressure on the guards and when they get pressured, they just tend to kind of go off on their own too much. And we've seen it time and time again. And that's just really something the coaching staff has to stay on them. Look, guys, there's going to be shots for you, but we have to, we have to withstand that adversity and really do what we're trying to do offensively. And when they do that, typically North Carolina has success. Yeah, I mean, I think Caleb Love can make some unbelievable plays and unbelievable shots. But I still say, and maybe I'm just – old but when he hits those step back 23 foot threes and they go in that's a, that's good that it went in it's still not a good shot in my opinion um and it leads to more of that Isaiah you're smiling what do you think about that I mean I don't, I don't know I feel like if you're taking those shots it's a confidence thing and if you're making them I think it just bodes well for your game overall I wouldn't necessarily if it's early in the shot clock or if it's a couple of possessions in a row where you haven't hit it, sure, it's a bad shot. But I don't necessarily mind him taking those type of shots because he's shown he can hit them and they're confidence boosters. So, so here's the thing, and I, I agree with that. The problem is uh, Roy Williams just say, I don't mind the guys shooting them, but they better make them. And what Caleb has shown, we have a whole season of it last year, he's not scared to shoot the ball. And when he gets into a rhythm and he starts making them, Look out, you see the potential. You see this kid being a potential first-round NBA draft pick. But for whatever reason, that's not his typical performance. And we have some of these, you know, I, mean, I guess BC, when your point guard's 5 of 17 shooting, not necessarily a good thing. Uh, but I agree with you. When he gets it clicking, North Carolina is a great team. So the challenge is how do you rein that in when they're not quite falling for him? And, uh, I mean, that's not a Caleb thing. That's a – that's just a basketball uh, issue all around, right? Is you got guys that you want to lean on, and when they get hot, they get hot. But it's kind of making sure it's the heat check idea, right? I wanted to bring up something that T, our man T Slagle keeps bringing up in the chat here because he's talking about the driving and things like that. Um, Caleb is shooting the ball from beyond the arc at a higher clip than he is shooting the ball from inside the arc. I was just so, about to bring that up. Good job, Slagle. He thinks like me. So Caleb is not having success when he drives and that 
mainly is due to vision. Once he gets in there, he's committed to either the pass and then that leads into it. Cause it's obvious that he's going to just pull up and pass and, or he drives into traffic and he doesn't get the proper shot that he wants to, as far as being from inside the arc and driving RJ Davis, the best two point shooter from guards perspective at 51%. So if Caleb keeps making his, the deep threes when he shoots them, because he's at a 42% clip and he's at a 38% clip from inside the arc, it's just going to keep happening, right? Because until one of the coaches or he can realize or coaches can get him to realize or he can realize himself that he needs to make better decisions with it. And I think all of this, everything we've talked about in the last few minutes here comes back to decision-making across the board. Um, Watching Armando when he gets the ball, I think he's maybe taking it upon himself that he has to go up with it. And some of the best possessions were at the end of the Boston College game. Or no, I wasn't even at, I wasn't at the Boston College game. The who did they play on Saturday? I can't even keep track. Monday, Virginia Tech, Virginia, Virginia Tech game. Tech, yeah. That was um, Monday. Wake was Saturday. The eight zero run there at the end that kind of decided the game was Armando had it down low, got doubled, and then kicked it out, and then extra ball extra passes happened and it led to a Brady Manic three. That doesn't happen enough, whether it's Baycott inside, Caleb driving, and then getting stonewalled or just not finishing, or RJ shooting a three that he shouldn't shoot because he's just dribbling and he can't find where it goes. It all comes down to decision-making across the board, one through five, um, is I think where these issues keep arising. And I don't, I don't know how you fix that other than just tape and film review and being like, look, this is, and we talked about this after Virginia, how can they replicate that? And since Virginia, um, they haven't, not even at home against Virginia Tech in Boston College, although sparingly, not, not against Boston College last night. I don't think there was an instance of that at all, but definitely against Virginia Tech, there were sparingly instances of it. What do you think, Kirsten? Kirsten, is it a, is it a shot selection issue? Is it decision? Well, I guess decisions are shot selection issues. I mean, I think sometimes in when they lose, everybody's got something to pick. When they win, we sort of forget that the issues are still there and they're on a two-game winning streak. Where do you, yeah, where are you here? Yeah, lots of games like Boston College where you can't ignore the issues because um, shooting percentage is just so bad. Um, yeah, I think – well, I think it's a lot of turnover from last year. I think we saw a lot of just using Caleb as an example, a lot of these shot selection and not necessarily making the right decision. I think we saw a lot of this last year. Has he, has he gotten better? Absolutely. But there are still times when he's shooting that long three that Isaiah loves and he's not making it. There are times when he's driving in the paint and throwing something up that, you know, probably could have made the extra pass and it would have been a wide open shot. Um, so I think it's just, it's a learning process. Um, reviewing tape going over it in practice but um I guess until you know you find out that these aren't working and maybe have to lose a couple more games but uh yeah it's just I think it's turnover from last year and just something that they'll have to keep working on um for it to get better look at there Dewey Burke comes in the man is on the road at work working hard Dewey what's going on do you work in a cave (laughs) <laughs> Can you guys see me? Okay, I just stepped outside because I got too many people in my office. So I'm uh, I'm outside in the cold, but I'm, I'm here for you, Tommy. Yeah, well, we can't see you, but that's fine. We can hear you, and that's the only thing that matters. We are talking about 
um, with this team, shot selection, decision-making, and how fatigue affects all that. And I wanted to get your take on it um, since you've been there in the arena before and, and seen guys up close dealing with it. How much does fatigue on the basketball court affect the mental side of the game? Well, look, I think it definitely does. Uh, you know, I don't have fatigue concerns if you're playing a normal schedule where, you, where you've got several days between games. These kids are young. They recover fast. And it wouldn't normally be the concern. But five games in whatever it is, 11 days, I think that definitely becomes something you think about And when guys are playing 37, 38 minutes. So it's like anything else in life. You know, as a, as a parent, when I'm tired, I probably parent worse. As a, you know, as a, as a coworker, it's the same thing. So um, when you're tired, your decision-making is, is worse and your, your temper is different and, and it, it bears itself in athletics too. You're tired, your brain doesn't work as well and you make poor decisions sometimes. So I think it's a concern during this stretch. I'm hopeful that it's not a concern once we get back to a regular schedule and, and more normal stretch. Dewey, Dewey, when you and I – oh, sorry, Greg. Go ahead, Gregory. Dewey, when you and I did our post-game show and with uh, replacing Tommy, you said – we talked about has this team earned the fan base's trust yet, and your answer was no, and the way to do that was to win a game ugly in addition to the consistency. Well, the last two games have definitely been that. So I'm curious – question here from Drew Krebs in the chat. The value – and the wins that these last two of these last two games, considering they were ugly wins, especially last night. I do think it's important. And I understand the opponents were not that strong, especially Boston college. Neither of those teams is likely to be a tournament team, but I do think it matters because we, we hadn't shown that now have they earned our trust all the way from the fan side of things? The answer is still no. But I do think this was this was important because up to that point, we'd have these games where, oh, we played great, so we won. Michigan, Virginia, or we played terrible, Tennessee, uh, Kentucky, and we lost. And there was really no in-between. And I, I throw out the early season games against inferior opponents. Now that we're in the conference, I needed to see that we could win ugly. Now let's win ugly against a, a better team, a tournament-level team, and and grind one out, and then it's another step. Dewey, the, the team is shooting about 33% over the last four games. Um, I imagine fatigue plays a little bit of a role in that, uh, not having guys like Dawson and Anthony Harris have played a role in that. Is there any concern you know, that this is anything more than just a shooting slump, or do you expect them to kind of bounce out of this? That's a great question. I don't know because – there was a point there, and Greg, you'd know better. There was a point there where we were the, the number one three-point shooting team in the ACC, which I thought was a little bit of fool's gold. Um, I, I'm maybe concerned that this is who we really are, that we're just an average shooting team. Um, and so if you, you know, gun to my head, ask me to, to tell you what I think the future looks like, I, I think we're more of like a low to mid thirties, three point shooting team, not a 41 to 42. Maybe I'm wrong. And, and maybe Brady will, will continue to shoot the ball well. And, and Caleb snaps out of it and shoots a better percentage and, and same for Kerwin. But I, I kind of feel like this is more of who we are. 
And, and so we've, we've got to be able to score the ball in other ways. And that's, that's getting into Armando and having him shoot a better percentage than he has the last couple of nights. And Dewey, here's a stat for you in, in ACC play, UNC ranks 13th in two point field goal percentage at 46.1. That's a stat that is unheard of, at least in the Roy Williams era. We've only got one post player. Right. I mean, there's there's only one guy who's trying to score around the rim. Caleb penetrates and gets in there every now and again. But if Armando has a low percentage outing, it's going to lend itself to being in the 40s on two on two point percentage, which is abysmal. But it's not that surprising, given the roster. Right. As we've talked about here, Brady and, and Dawson, you know, if he comes back or when he comes back, they're perimeter oriented bigs. Right. So it's not that far-fetched given the makeup of this roster Dewey obviously the layup issues can be well I want to ask you this first can it be that like fully credited to fatigue with the schedule that they've played recently or is there something else that you're seeing no I think look I think Armando's body of work is good enough that we've seen him largely make the shots around the rim that he should make and so he's just in a spot where maybe it is fatigue he's just it just touches a little off, and I think he gets that back. That, I think, is a, is a surer thing than us going back to short, shooting 40-something percent from three. That's how I feel. Let me ask one question um, that I was thinking about. The seasons are a grind, Dewey, and you know that, and especially in the COVID area when they're, where they're rescheduling games and all that, but can you get the, your legs back during the season? And how long do you need for that to happen? Oh, you definitely can. You definitely can. Practices start to get shorter, and I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I, you know, typically there's that one week where you, you know, maybe play on a Monday and not again until a Saturday, or you play on a Sunday and not again until a third or something, you know, where you have three, four days, and two of them are off days, and you recover and you get in the cold tub. So for sure, especially at 19 and 20. I mean, that, that, that can definitely happen. And so I would not be so concerned that there are guys that normally would pay, play 31 minutes or playing 38. I think we're overemphasizing it a little bit. It's just tougher during this stretch when we're, at, we're down Anthony, we're down Dawson, and we're playing five games in 11 nights. I think their legs will be fine. What about building depth midseason, specifically right now? Because right now, now look, if that if it existed, I'm sure the starters would have played 37 minutes in back-to-back games. Yeah, look, what is Hubert telling us? He he doesn't fully trust guys to play more than you know short spurts. He's he's not there yet. Uh, you know, Puff is, is apparently fully ready to go now, and he only played four minutes. Why? Well, he's he's got to earn Hubert's trust. I mean, or or that's what I would say. You know, that's what if it was Coach Williams, that's what I would say. Why isn't so-and-so playing? Well, coach doesn't trust him yet. Uh, somebody asked in the chat, what were the layups against Boston College? I think it was eight for 16, if I'm looking at the stats correctly, um, which is actually not as bad as I thought it was because I could have sworn Baycott missed probably all of those um, in going what he did. Let me ask you, Dewey. Uh, NC State comes in on Saturday. Tell folks listening to this in case they've forgotten what your former head coach <laughs> thought of NC State and what you as a former player and your former teammates and all the Carolina guys think of NC State. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an easy one. It's, it's a fun one to talk about because it, the difference for us inside the program, the difference between state and Duke was simply this. We hate Duke. We hated Duke, but we respected them. They were good. They were well coached. They had great players and it was a healthy respect as much as you wanted to beat them. None of us ever felt respect for NC state. We just never did. And right, wrong, or indifferent, that's the truth. And uh, coach never said, I don't respect them, but he sure as hell hated them. And he hated them <laughs> from the time he, he hated them from the time he was a student. And he, he told us a story about when he was a student and he went over there and got into some kind of a thing. And from that point on, the guy never wore red a day in his life. And so that trickled down to us. And that's how we all still feel. We, I take more joy in state losing or state having bad luck or something happening to them, honest to God, than I do in Duke losing. And I think all my, my good friends and teammates feel the same way. <laughs> Isaiah, you got a question for Dewey? Hey, Dewey, when it comes to Kerwin Walton, him finding his role in this team, it seems like as the season go deeper into the season, that becomes harder. How hard is it going to be to kind of find him minutes and find him serviceable in games? Yeah, I, I just feel like he needs a game where he makes four or five threes and he snaps out of it. He just seems to lack confidence. And you you cannot you cannot be a shooter without confidence. It, we've talked about this reference before. It's kind of like being a corner in the NFL. The best corners have no memory, right? They get they get burnt on a on a nine route. They come right back talking, talking junk, ready to press up in man to man, thinking that they are gonna defend every pass and as a shooter you have to have a short memory and right now he's got a crisis of confidence it looks like and so if he can get one of those games or he makes four or five threes I think maybe he snaps out of it and then he's good if that doesn't come then you know maybe he never finds it but he's so capable I just I hope that he can have that 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 one night where he gets out of it specific to Kerwin it looks like I mean the beginning of the season it was talk about for Kerwin to make for Kerwin to make that next step he needed to do more in his game. And it looks like to me that that's what's happening with him is he's, when he gets the ball, he's like, maybe I should drive. And he's like, wait, I don't, he, he doesn't know. He doesn't look like he knows what he's doing, but when he has a ball in his hands and he shoots, it looks like we saw him last year. Is that kind of what you're, what you're seeing, Dewey? Yeah, I think, I think what you said is right. I mean, it, it, when you, when you're not confident, you overthink and you don't just play. And I, I think that's what you're seeing. There's hesitancy there's that's the best word there's hesitancy when he catches it whereas last year it was just let it rip and so he's got to just find that and and see and look nothing cures it better than having a game where you hit four or five that's what he needs kirsten you got something for dewey before we let him get back to uh the party at work yeah one more <laughs> thing uh, while we're on the topic of guards and uh you know getting more involvement especially on offense we've seen leaky uh, shoot the ball a little bit more, make shots a little bit more on offense within the last two games. Do we think, uh, do we, do you think that's something he can keep up or was that just kind of like a flash of what he can do on offense in the last two games? No, I, I, I do look, he's not like totally incapable. Like it's been made out to be, and he has to be some semblance of a threat when he catches the ball, whether it's behind the arc or even at 18 feet, he has to be some semblance of a threat. And cause otherwise they don't even pay attention and you're, you feel like you're four on five. And so the last couple of nights, he's been a little more assertive. He's been willing to take a jumper and make a couple. I don't think he needs to shoot eight or ten of them, but shoot two or three, make one or two, and they have to at least honor it, and then it's actually five on five. We had that stretch there where it was almost like we were playing down a man 
offensively. And so clearly they watched film or had a conversation because he's become a little more assertive. And again, he's very capable. So he just needs to keep playing the way he's been playing. Folks, that is Dewey Burke. Dewey, I'm going to let you get back to life. I appreciate you taking time to join us here. And I will, uh, uh, if I don't go to the Smith Center on Saturday, I'll talk to you post game. Either way, we'll hear from Dewey on the post game Inside Carolina podcast on Saturday. Thanks, man. All right, guys. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care. It's interesting, Greg, um, about the, the leaky issue. We talked about how um, Storm Murphy was basically sitting in the lane waiting for him to do do something do it leaky do something and boston college kind of did that as well i think he needs to do more offensively one way or another i don't know if shooting threes is that but he could attack more maybe what do you think greg how can he help this team um more than just the you know the stat sheet stuff type things yeah, and I think this kind of gets into the matchup aspect of it. Um, after going back and, and watching the Virginia Tech game, after we had our conversation in the postgame podcast, Tommy, um, you know, if, if I was the coach, and granted, I mean, let's, let's lay it on the line here. Last time I coached was my, my son's five-year-old church league team, right? <laughs> um, but just watching Storm Murphy, who's six foot tall, trying to – you allow leaky blacks from room who's six eight i mean why not why not take advantage of that and say you know what leaky if they're going to disrespect you like that go post him up and let's let's just clear everybody out we'll post you up and we'll, we'll see what they do and we'll try to get them out of doing that um and you don't see teams do that a whole lot and so i i think try to utilize his height some um and if they're going to disrespect him with smaller defenders that he has an advantage over um, let him try to utilize that and, and capitalize that to the best of his ability just to kind of force the other team's hand. And, uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, Virginia Tech wanted him to take some of those outside shots. And fortunately for Carolina, he made a few of them. But that's not his thing. And I know he made the one early against BC. But I think he, he attempted, what, two shots after making that first three on the first possession? Mm-hmm. Um, so – a little bit of that, if, you, if they're not going to respect him, give him the ball and let him drive or let him post people up uh, just to kind of shake things up and, and try to get things, you know, get the equilibrium back, if you will. That's one part of his game. I mean, he's a senior at this point. I know he played point guard in high school, and he's always been a guard with height. But I'm surprised he didn't really um, drill on being a, a solid post-up guy because he could what wear What did Theo do? You remember Theo when he started playing a little bit of the four? I mean, he worked he just, on some post moves his senior year. Yeah, I mean, if you're a guard with size and you work on your post game, I'm lean. Obviously, he's the greatest to ever do it. Um, no offense to y'all young guys, uh, but Jordan, <laughs> what did he do late in his career? Who he post yeah. you up and fade away all night and wear you out. Um, Isaiah, people keep asking about Dawson Garcia. He is unavailable. He is not back. He is on in at home and all that. Anthony Harris is unavailable. The question comes in is who gets the minutes? Well, we've seen who's gotten the minutes and those guys' absences in the past two games, and that's the starters. For you and Kristen, I'll, I'll come to you next. Who gets the minutes or who needs to get the minutes for this team to be better down the stretch when the schedule toughens up a little bit. I think he's got to let Don Trez and DeMarco loose. I think he's got to 
he's got to find time to just let them go, let them play, let them get experience now because he's, he's going to need them because RJ and Caleb, they can't handle ball responsibilities the whole game and make smart decisions. And then down low, if you just have Brady and Armando, I mean, they'll get tired. Puff can come in, but you're still going to need to be able to pair one of them with two other guys, whether that's Puff and Dontrez or Puff and DeMarco with two other guards. So I think the freshmen definitely have to start getting more minutes. Miss Clark, Isaiah, you took, Puff. Yep, Isaiah, is, you took is, the word. Go ahead. Go is Puff the answer? I was going to say Isaiah took the words right out of my mouth. I think um, we've seen Puff. He's he's had his time, not much, but uh, he hustles when he's out there. So I think definitely keep playing him. But Dontrez and DeMarco, um, it's time to let them play more than just in the last minute of the game. Um, you know, let them get the jitters out, give them some more minutes. I think they can produce, but you can't produce if you're on the bench. So, um, yeah, give those freshmen some time. He's going to need them next year. So why not start now? When it comes to Puff, um, I think Sherelle hopped in. He likes to just like pop in at times and post some knowledge in the chat. And he popped in and said, Puff has more floor burns when he's diving on the floor and whatnot, going for loose balls than some of the starters do. And he's obviously been in a limited role. When it comes to what guys tell us about their game and things like that, I don't think anyone has really embodied that more than Puff. I mean, he didn't tell it to us, but he did his interview on Carolina Insider where he was asked about the value that he brings. Um, And he said, I just feel like my game, I give it 100% every single time, no matter what, no matter what the score is, no matter what position I'm at. One thing that you can bank on is that I'm going to give – go 110% no matter what and just doing the little things. And I think with these last two games specifically, there's some value in that. It's not necessarily, he's obviously knows that he's not going to be Caleb Love right now and drop 20 on you, but he can at least provide something that's not there when it needs to be. Um, And does that need to be 15 minutes? No. Does it need to be more than three in my opinion? Yes. Greg, at this point in the season, do you think it changes? Uh, no, I don't. But I, I think Kirsten's point is is very good there in that – and this kind of gets to a bigger bigger issue. Um, and we've talked about it a little bit in the past. Uh, and I don't – people get upset that we're a little bit critical of Hubert. I mean, we're learning how he operates, all these things. He's a first-year coach that comes with the territory. But I've never you know, looked at this at all as you know, his job's on the line, right? I mean, it's his first year. He's going to have a number of years here. So if I've got a question about anything, it's the idea of build that foundation of what you're wanting, right? And as she said, like, you're going to need these guys next year. So, yeah, you want to win now, of course. But you're also wanting to set the foundation for the years moving forward. And Roy was always about that. Like, you know, I'm coaching for the program. I'm not coaching all the time just for this team. Like, we're looking ahead as well because our goals are more than just this year. Uh, and, I'm, you know, I'm just fascinated by the idea of, of Hubert. If, if he feels the pressure that he's got to win right now or else things are going to go south for him, I would hate that to be the case for him because I don't think that's true. I think he's going to have some time to kind of build this in his own image, if you will. Um, and I – I think some of that's kind of been lost in the emphasis to win right now. 
And while I, w- I would love to see Dontrez and DeMarco and, and Puff uh, see a lot more minutes, I just don't know that it's going to happen. Um, and I think we're at this point in the season now where all these games are so important that it kind of limits their opportunities. Um, so it's kind of a kind of a catch-22. You would like for him to be able to build beyond this year, but yet you've got so much pressure in this year that makes it difficult. That's that's a great, great point, and that's something we haven't talked about. Um, we talked a lot about the need to win now. Um, but if ever there was a year to get a pass, it would be this year. But Slagle bringing it on the chat said, Gregory, is that fair to the current team? To, to what? To prepare for future teams? To prepare nah. for next year or beyond. Is that well, fair do- for Baycott? Is that fair for Manic? Well, you Leaky. can do it in a way – that doesn't hurt the current team that we're not saying that it's like, Oh, at this point it's maybe your championship aspirations aren't what you thought they were. So let's play Don Trez and DeMarco 25 minutes a game. Right. We're just, I mean, like I said, puff, it doesn't need to be three. It doesn't need to be 15 minutes a game. It can be eight. If he's giving you that effort consistently. Now I get at times he, the bench goes in and they like, they played, really badly in the first half against Virginia tech when they came in and played these minutes we're talking about. Um, but I think there's a balance there. It doesn't need to be like, Oh, it's not fair to the current team or this is only helping those guys and whatnot. But I think it's leading more right now towards not helping the reserves than it is hurting the starters. So I think there needs to be a medium where, cause it, I mean, it's a team, right? It's not starting lineup and the bench. Right. It's they they work together and we're not saying pull all the starters out and then play a starting lineup of uh, DeMarco at point, um, Kerwin at the two, McCoy at the three, Dontrez at the four. And then I'm leaving some puff. Right. Or Dontrez at the five. You know, it's not not what we're saying. Um, So, yeah, that's my my point on that. Greg, is there and I don't know, I'm just asking blindly, is there a, a place to check? minutes played like over the years i was trying to look up the 1982 team to see the stats of course you can find the the stats and the scoring and all that but is there a warehouse that has uh, drills down as much as minutes played per game <laughs> the uh the record book tell so me t- what year are you looking for buddy tell 1982 me. i want to know how many minutes the starters played because i was trying to think back uh, to teams that where they've where you've had starters play more than this year, and I can't remember any. But '82 didn't go very deep, and I know I'm dating myself. But for everybody here, Gregory especially, that was the team that had Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, and James Worthy. You've probably heard of those guys. It's a good team, and uh, uh, I think they were pretty good. Yeah, look, I don't look have how fast the, he found that. I don't have <laughs> the actual minutes, but I will say that the the starting five. Averaged at least 7.6 points per game. Uh, Jim Braddock was next in points at 1.9 points per game. So that kind of speaks to a very short bench. The other one that I think everybody remembers is uh, Guts' first year with the six-man lineup. And uh, let's see here. Uh, there are minutes for that one. No, there's not even minutes for there. But that same situation, you got six guys averaging at least 5.8 points 
Mactar averaged five point eight, and then after that, you know, Brendan Haywood was at two point nine. So that kind of speaks to the you know, the the minute uh, differential. The real quick interruption: the UNC women's team just upset Duke and Cameron seventy eight to sixty two. Nice. For those place was rocking. For those watching, is that an upset? Yeah, Duke's ranked higher. Oh, okay. At least the last time I looked. They play NC State again this weekend, don't they? Or it's coming up again. Anyway, is it that would be a, a fun game to go to? They need to show up against that one. Uh, they play hard. Isaiah, what are we missing about this team? We've we've talked about a lot. Sometimes I think we talk a lot and we don't say much, at least me. <laughs> um, but what are we missing when we look at this basketball team? They are 14 and six, not six and 14. They are in the upper echelon of the ACC. Why, why are we so down on them? I think the way the 14 and six looks, I mean, the losses are against tournament quality teams. Hubert came in saying they had high expectations for the team and they haven't played to those expectations where you think they're going to be a tournament team. Farewell in the tournament. Like this is a team that looks like right now, if they make it in a first round exit, very likely. Ms. Clark. I think it's that simple. No, I don't know if it is or not. And I'm going to circle back to Greg. And, Greg, I'm coming to you with some heat that you got earlier in the season. Um, but, Ms. Clark, what do you think? What are we missing besides that? Man, um, Isaiah hit the nail on the head, but um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think it's they've played these te- – the games that they're losing are – against teams that they could face again later on and that they're going to face even higher quality teams and they just won't, won't put up a good fight. Um, but I think it is important to know. I know last night someone asked Hubert, someone mentioned something about, um, you know, losing, winning, excuse me, ugly. Um, I think it's important to note that, you know, we still see good things, even when they're playing bad, when they're not playing good on, on offense, we see, you know, Still good defense. Um, Hubert likes to say energy, effort, toughness. Still showing signs of that. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't think it's over. And I don't think, I don't think it's, you know, I think they still have a chance. But um, yeah, I just don't think we need to count them out yet. But yeah. Greg, I'm gonna come to you, and and there's a couple more questions off the YouTube chat. But Isaiah hit it, and he talked about expectations and what expectations were set at the beginning of this season. And I think you talked about it. We all talked about it, the messaging early in the season. I think that is why we're here talking about a 14 and 16 that's in the top five in the ACC or whatever. And we're acting like they've had a terrible season. Granted, the competition that they've won against is lesser than the competition that they've lost against. But isn't it always the case for the most part? Your take on the, on the expectations, the reality – and the perception things that are going on with this team. Yeah, well, Miss Clark uh, nailed it right there, as did Isaiah. But the challenge with being North Carolina and being a blue blood and, and being what this program has been for the last 70 years, basically, is that the bar is so high. And if you're not playing great basketball, uh, people are going to pick and pluck. And, and really kind of tear you apart just because the expectations were so high. You, 
I mean, Clemson, that doesn't happen. But North Carolina doesn't want to be Clemson. And so, at times, you kind of hate it for the players because, yeah, I mean, they're trying their best. But if they're not as talented as Jamison and Carter and Ed Coda, that's not their fault. Um, You know, Will Johnson, you know, he used to get so much heat. And that kid busted his butt 20 years ago. Um, But because he wasn't an elite NBA guy, people criticized him. I always always hated that. That's always stuck with me because he he, he played as hard as he could. Um, So that's kind of the, the challenge now. In terms of expectation setting, um, as we've discussed, Hubert said after the Asheville game, after they looked so bad up in Connecticut, he was convinced that this team had a chance to win a national championship. I don't think anybody at this point in time still believes that. I mean, is there a chance, a fluky chance? Sure. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I, I said I think some of the messaging is part of it, that there is going to be a learning curve and it's not going to be a smooth ride, even though some people thought it might be, it's, it's not fair to Hubert to think that, but I think everybody's kind of understanding this is a challenge. I mean, Theo Penson went on go Hills podcast and said, everybody relax. So we've got Theo on board now. Uh, so I, I think everybody's kind of understanding that this is going to be a process. Um, and, you know, even Hubert's, I think he's backed, he's toned his comments down kind of understanding what this team needs to do. Now, North Carolina's 14 and six, pretty good record. Uh, They are, I guess, a game out of first place in the ACC. However, as you said earlier, Tommy, Miami is basically a a bubble team right now. And so I went back and looked, somebody asked you, what happened last year? Was there anybody that had no success against Q1 teams and still got in? Yes. Syracuse was 1-7 against Q1 teams last year. North Carolina is 0-6 right now. Uh, But Syracuse was 6-1 against Q2 teams. They got in as a number 11 seed. Carolina was a number 8 seed last year. They were 3-9 against Q1 teams, but they were 8-0 against Q2. And this is is where it gets important. Carolina played 28 games before Selection Sunday last year. 20 of those 28 games – we're against Q1 or Q2 opponents, yes. right? So it's the whole idea of the, uh, what is it, that the rising tide lifts all boats? Mm-hmm. That's typically what happens with the ACC. And you're seeing that like in the SEC and the Big Ten this year. Michigan gradually is moving up the rankings, right? Even though the record's still not very good because they keep playing very good teams. Carolina right now is 0-6 against Q1s. They are 2-0 against Q2 teams. Carolina's going to play 31 games in the regular season. And as of right now, more than half of them, 16, are Q3 or Q4, which means those games do not matter whatsoever in terms of NCAA tournament resume. If you you win. If you lose them, they do. That's right. Absolutely. In terms of winning, they don't help you. And that's crazy for a North Carolina team, for more than half of your games not to matter. And they've only got seven Q1 or Q2 games remaining. And so that's why these games are so important. Yeah, BC is a Q4 win at home. If you lose that game, it is detrimental to your chances. NC State is going to be a Q3 game. They cannot afford to lose that. They need to win it. They cannot afford to lose it. Um, And so you're talking about games like at Virginia Tech, at Clemson. 
having massive implications. And the only game really at home remaining that matters is Duke in a couple weeks. Um, and that's just kind of because of the ACC struggling the way it has and because of North Carolina not taking advantage of some of those non-conference opportunities, they're really kind of in this hole. And it's not like they can just coast. I mean, they need to, they need to win a majority of those games. They are two and six right now against Q1 and Q2 opponents. That's not good. And so um, it, it's a challenge, but that kind of explains why, even though the record looks good, even though the ACC standings looks good, they really haven't beat many good teams. Um, and they need, to, they need to change that over the last, what now, five weeks of the regular season? So what, there are only Q1 games left, or both do games at Virginia Tech. And I, Is that Clemson, it? Not Clemson. I think Clemson and Virginia Tech are both right around, what, 65-70? Yeah. Well, the 75 Explain. is the threshold. So 70, is it, is it different on the road versus at home? It yes. is. Significantly. So, Yep, so top 30 is a Q1 at home. Top 75 is a Q1 on the road. And the reason why is uh, the way that the net works right now, it's made up of two components. One is just your net efficiency, which is like how good your opponents is, kind of like the old RPI. The other part is how good are you against quality competition away from home? That's a focus. Mm. And what we talked about all year, Carolina looks great at home. Not so good on the road. And so that, that's one of the components, one of the factors that's working against Carolina right now. Someone asked about FSU. They're in like the 70 range. And so that's it's a home game. So that's a Q2 home game. It's crazy how bad the ACC is. And just they're going to be 68 teams in the, in the tournament. There's going to be a lot of names in that NCAA tournament come March Selection Sunday that people are not used to seeing in there i think if the acc is only going to have a few lenardi has providence as the 16th best team overall and could be a four seed like that's exhibit a of names that you're not used to being a top four seed i mean providence makes tournament but when was the last time they've been that high you know best providence team i remember was like a nine unless you're talking about billy donovan way back in the day that i think went to the final four um but providence Patino, with Chris right? Dunn. was like it Patino's Patino? Team? yeah yeah that, 87, uh, I believe. Yeah. Oh, Speaking was, of Patino. It was yesterday. The Chris Mack stuff. Is Patino going back to Louisville? No, but just Louisville <laughs> just has – since Patino has just been – it's been crazy. So, let me ask you, are y'all going to cover Carolina and Louisville? Is Louisville the train wreck that they seem to be, or is it a Chris Mack issue, Greg? Because I thought they were pretty good. They just haven't been good. Yeah, I think with all the issues earlier this year with them getting suspended – and then you have the, the Malik Williams comments the other night. Uh, I, I just think there was a, a loss of faith with the powers that be with, with Mac, as well as losing the team a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I thought he was a good hire when they picked him up from, from Xavier. I, I thought that was going to be a guy that could have some success. Uh, clearly has not happened. And I, the interesting thing is I'm, I'm not exactly sure who you can get. I mean, Louisville's a good job for sure. Uh, it just doesn't seem like there's that many kind of elite level college basketball coaches right now. I mean, look at Carolina and Duke, right? I mean, they, Carolina with Hubert this year, first year head coach. Next year, Shire at Duke, be a first year head coach. Um, Wes Miller, I, his name just keep, keeps getting tossed around, even though he's a first year guy at Cincinnati now. You see Bruce Pearl's name got tossed around at Louisville? That'd be great, right? Pearl and, and Calipari. 
I'm sure everyone, I'm sure everyone listening would uh would love Bruce Pearl in the ACC. <laughs> I mean, he's got his team playing well. He's got some studs on there. I know he's got somebody that people don't care much, but I know that guy would help Carolina a lot right now. Let's go. What needs to change the most? Last question from the YouTube chat. Um, I'll start with you, Gregory, because you're top left on my screen. Not sure what it is on the YouTube screen, but what needs to change the most for this team to secure an NCAA win or NCAA bid? You just you gotta force turnovers, and you just have to. Um, 358th in non-steal turnover percentage, 355th in turnover percentage. Like we talk about winning ugly, right? Like that's it's great, and but like if you to win ugly against good teams, you gotta make them force turnovers and make put pressure on them to not run the offense that they want to run. And part of the issue against these better teams is when, and Hubert said it after the weight game that they just look at who they're playing, very athletic guards that you would see has not been able to defend because they've just let them do whatever they want to do and just haven't put pressure on them at, at all. Um, so I think that's got to change more than anything. And I don't know if that's just better on ball defense, or better help defense or just moving your feet more, or even just hand checking people and getting in their heads, but something to force more turnovers. Isaiah. Um, I think along those lines, sticking with defense, I think on ball defense, more specifically pick and roll defense, even though that's kind of hard when you have to, when you have to play well, when the starting five consists of two bigs that aren't as mobile, but I think that, the reason why guards have success is because they get switches on the bigs and then they're just allowed to attack. So I think figuring out what lineups to use to defend against the PNR, I think that has to change. And I think that'll bode well. That'll help because if you're not forcing turnovers, you can force tough shots. Ms. Clark, what needs to change for this team to make the tournament? I'm going to go to offense. Uh, I think they need to up that uh, two-point field goal percentage, whether that's uh, getting the ball to Armando more, making sure he makes those shots that he needs to make, um, seeing more high-scoring games from him, and then from the guards, uh, getting inside more, not shooting out outside as much, missing those shots, but getting inside, getting fouled, getting to the line, um, and upping that to two-point field goal percentage. Greg, you'll be last. Uh, I'll, I'll go before you close it with some knowledge. I agree on the two-point field goal shooting uh the last couple games have really dragged that down um baycott stuff but my thing is and greg you can speak to this when when hubert talked about having a modern offense i thought we would see more open drives more opportunities like other teams have done to carolina but it always seems like caleb love or rj or whoever are driving in traffic even when they're playing four out one in that's been the interesting thing for me. So is that a learning process of learning this offense or people not respecting, whether it's Leaky out there or Justin McCoy out there on the wing? Um, what's going on there? And then what's your take on what needs to change? Well, I do think a lot of that is, is just the capabilities of, of the guards in question in terms of getting to the rim. Um, I, you know, RJ, just because of his size, has had some issues. I, I don't think I'm alone in thinking that 
in saying that I, I thought Caleb would have more success being able to get to the rim than he's had this year. Uh, and that's just kind of a, a strange thing, you know, Carolina, other teams do a very good job of once you get around a screen, there's a straight line to the rim. And Caleb has just kind of struggled with that for a variety of reasons. Uh, but yeah, I want to build on uh, the, the two point field goal percentage thing, because I think that's very important. Why is that an issue? Uh, two, two things. One, you know, last year, North Carolina offensive numbers were not very good. I mean, they were outside of the top 250 in effective field goal percentage, outside of top 250 in turnover percentage, three-point field goal percentage, free throw percentage, um, all these things. But yet they were top 50 in adjusted offensive efficiency. Why? They were number one in the country in offensive rebound percentage. They rebounded 41% of the misses. That gives you those opportunities for very easy shots at the rim. Uh, but if you look at what North Carolina has done this year, Carolina is 108th in offensive rebounding percentage, uh, 31%. So 10% less than last year. Ken Palm did a uh, podcast, I guess it was yesterday. It was really enlightening. It's about the offensive rebounding percentage partly has played a role in North Carolina's struggles and lack of consistency. Um, and beyond that, if you, if you look at assists per made field goal, you have Carolina's best teams, like in 05, Carolina assisted on 63% of their made baskets. This year, that number is all the way down to, to 51.9, uh, which is 158th nationally. And it's 40% in losses, by the way. Yeah. Um, and so that, that speaks volumes. So they're not doing a good job hitting the offensive glass. They're not doing a good job passing and getting good looks. I mean, that's where your two point field goal percentage issues come from. And so you're, you're not getting those easy baskets. And then of course, last couple of games, Ramondo's had problems at the rim. Uh, that only makes the matters worse. So I, again, I, uh, I get a lot of grief for, for being a big Roy Williams fan, but he was adamant that, look, take as many easy opportunities at the rim as you can and work your way out from there. Uh, and I think because of the, the change, I think it's a good change. I mean, it's the modern offense. I understand all that. But I think because Carolina has made a point to really rely on the three-point shot, it has hurt them a little bit inside. Uh, and, you know, as, as Dewey said earlier, Armando is really your only true big inside. And so if you're not having guys that can get to the rim like your guards on drives, you're really limited with some of those looks. And I think that's where some of North Carolina's offensive issues have come. And they don't have a guard. You know, I, Carolina played somebody the other day, maybe it was Wake Forest, or it's been one of those teams where they didn't have many assists is because they were wearing Carolina out on dribble drives. And they were just taking it all the way to the rim. Carolina doesn't have that. And they – and Love and RJ can – once in a while, get to the rim. Rarely do they get the rim cleanly. Gregory, you want to ask a, a question to close us out? Because I'm great at these type questions. Yeah, what happens on Saturday? Roy Williams gets honored. Uh, NC State, since they should have beaten Purdue, li literally should have beaten Purdue, and then blew it and lost in overtime, is three and nine since that game. And that game has just broken them. And it's just I, – I just don't understand because Sebron is a really good player and could get 30 against Carolina. Um, kind of like LaRavia got 30 
on Carolina, same type of, he wants to do the same things. He's way more athletic than LaRavia. Um, what's his name? Cam Thomas, I Hayes. think. Cam Hayes. Cam Hayes. Who's Cam Thomas? Why do I have that name in my head? Anyway, Cam Hayes. Can shoot Defensive the ball tackle well. for North Carolina uh, on the great 2009 defense. Yeah, no, that's not what I'm thinking of. Um, he was 10. It's just state, state's got components, but they're three and nine. Um, and so it would be a bad loss. I don't even know where they are on the net. Um, 113th or something like that. So that'd be what Q3 loss or is that Q2? Still? It's Q3 game. Yeah. So yeah, it'd be a Q3 loss. So, but it's, it goes back to what I said earlier. It's a game that Carolina, I could see losing, which is why there's negative connotations on a 14, 16. <laughs> so predictions. Do I have to pick who starts? Is that how you do it, Tommy? Yeah. You go around, you, you tell us what we're right. doing. Ladies first, Miss Clark. Uh, I'm going to have to go in favor of UNC in this one. They're at home. They've shown they can win at home. Um, I think State, yeah, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a close game. They're going to come in ready, uh, especially since they've had, you know, not such a good slate in the last few games. But um, UNC is on a streak right now. Um, again, they're at home. I think uh, this is their game. So. I'm, I'm going to need a score prediction. A score. Okay. Um, I'm going to go – Oh, man. I think it'll be a pretty high-scoring game, so I'm going to go – actually, I take that back. I'm going to say 50... 58 UNC, uh, 55 State. I think it'll be close. Isaiah? Um, I think it's a good thing this game isn't in Raleigh. I think that – Oh, yeah. I think that – I think that's really the only advantage Carolina has, at least at this point, is – having this game at home i'm thinking i think the crowd gets into it i think they they feed off of it because that the team they do well when the, when the crowd's into the games they can feed into the crowd they definitely play better i'm thinking 69 53 unc i think they hold c ronda under whatever he's averaging right now and i don't think anybody else from state will step up tommy do you want to go I mean, I can. I think it'll be higher scoring than that. Look, Roy Williams is being honored. What did Dewey say about what Roy Williams thinks about NC State? If this team comes out and plays bad and struggles against NC State, uh, I'd hate to see the outcome. I'd hate to see the Inside Carolina message boards after it for sure. I think Carolina plays well. It's at home. I think a grinded-out win would be helpful for this team. Um, but it would just tire them more. I'm going to go 80 to 71, Carolina. I got 85-78, and I think UNC pulls away late. And the seven point, the getting to 85 is free throw shooting down the end, kind of like the Virginia Tech game. I think it's close to like maybe the two-minute mark, and then you and somebody hit some shots. Um, but I, I think it's going to be in like – Carolina fans are going to be on the edge of their seats screaming, being like, why is it not? Why do we not lead by more? And I think state's going to hang on for about 38 minutes and it's going to make it stressful. If not lead at halftime and UNC pulls away. I will say this Baycott and people are saying it in chat. Baycott. I mean, Oh yeah. State has nobody that can guard him, but two things. One, he's got to stay out of foul trouble, period. You can get two points back. You can't get a foul back. He's got to play that way 
on Saturday. But I think it matters how the game's officiated. I'm not talking about the refs. I don't do that. But a lot of times these refs have let a lot go in the first half, and then they call it a much closer in the second half. Carolina's got to adjust to that. Specifically, Baycott's got to adjust to that because he is the difference for Carolina. He is the state outside of Baycott can match up, I believe, with Carolina. They've shown that. Greg, what do you think? Hold on. Did you see Clemson attempted 45 two-point shots against Duke and didn't get fouled on any of them? (laughs) They they um... attempted one free throw, and it was the front end of a (laughs) one-and-one. Well, that's why, uh, that's why Hurley went nuts um, What for Arizona State the other day is because they shot like five free throws and the other team shot 30 or something. I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's – but look. And UNC shot a lot more free throws than Virginia Tech did on Monday night. I get that. But you attempt 45 shots inside the arc, one free throw attempt. Yeah. I probably Sorry. would have saw – I would have Great seen defense. that game. Yeah. Great, great defense. I would have seen that game from uh, the house because I'd already been home by the time the half. Brownell time. said something too. He was like, "It's not the first time this happened in this building." <laughs> what What the thing is is, look, <laughs> folks got to realize it's the farewell tour. You got to get it all out of the system right now. What do you think happened Saturday, Greg? Even, or are you going to pull the Herb Street deal? You can't predict it since you're covering it. Oh, well, I've already did that. Oh, I. Yeah, I think Roy Williams watches a lot of these games, and I mean, he cares, but he doesn't really care. He's just there eating popcorn with Wanda. But this game, oh, I, I think he's been thinking about this pregame speech for, for months. And so I, I bet he has those guys jumping through the ceiling before they come out. And so I think just from an intensity and effort level, uh, Carolina is just going to be too much. I will say, uh, C-Ron is an incredibly talented kid, especially kind of getting to the rim. When, when he's adamant that he's going to score, he is tough to stop. Now, he doesn't have a lot around him, but he's played a lot at the four with Manny Bates being out for the year. Uh, talk about Baycott. Stay has nobody to guard him. If they got C-Ron working at the four and you got Casey uh, Marcel being your, your three, uh, Brady Manic, I mean, toasted. Yeah, I mean, like no, no chance. And so that is going to test what Hubert Davis wants to do. Do you, do you go and, and move Leaky down to the four and, and not play Brady as much? But then you get in the situation you got to play some of the other guys a lot of minutes who haven't played much. Um, so a lot of interesting matchups I think that can play out, and I think they're going to be more relevant in Raleigh in a couple weeks because of the Roy Williams factor in Chapel Hill. Uh, but I think there's a lot of parts inside this game that are fascinating. But I got Carolina winning this one pretty big. I'll say 75-60. You have to put Leaky on Sebron. You cannot yeah. allow Manic. There's nobody else. To- I don't think it matters who you put on him. I really <laughs> don't. Uh, I you don't put think- Manic on him, he's going to have 30. Well, they had to switch up against Wake. Leaky <laughs> wasn't no stopping – Anyone, you know, let's just like I don't think you're stopping Sebron if he wants to get to the rim. You you let him have his 35 and you stop it. I think the key is going to be if Smith's sitting threes. If he's sitting yeah. threes and Sebron's getting to the rim, you can't help. Now you're talking about a ball game, but yeah, yeah and Hellum can't help the because then they're going to hit threes. Yeah, Hellum's been has been decent when they're pretty good, but yeah, yeah. It, I, I don't know. I think it's a challenge. 
leaky to play Sebron. Uh, we'll Someone see. asked uh, for Sebron's jump shooting percentage, and he shoots twenty five percent from three. From three, yeah. And I don't, I, I don't think there's a separation separating anywhere between at the rim and jump shot. But if he's shooting twenty five percent, you got to make him shoot. Yeah, but he's shooting also fifty four percent overall. So he, he, he's pretty good. Um, fifty seven percent from two. So. Yeah, and he also averages 9.3 rebounds. So, I mean, the guy can play. Oh, yeah. And uh, the thing is, is we can't be talking about somebody not named Sebron after the game because if we are, NC State snuck into the Smith Center and pulled off an upset. I think we've covered it. I I think that Carolina and State, if this game can't get the Tar Heels on fire, then I don't know what. I agree with Greg. The pregame – um, speech from Roy, the honoring him at halftime. I think the Smith Center should be on fire. It's been a struggle these midweek games. Greg, you and I slack during the game. The Boston College crowd, it's tough. Virginia Tech crowd, tough. Saturday needs to be a great one for the fans, for the players, for the coaches, and especially for Roy Williams and the Smith Center. It's been on the beat live. Gregory, Isaiah, Miss Clark, Greg Barnes. We'll have Inside Carolina live on Saturday. Joey Powell's back from paradise. So we'll get it together at WCHL Studios and bring you that show. And somebody will be doing the post-game NC State show short, shortly after the horn, I guess, at 4 o'clock or so. Everybody, appreciate you joining us. Rate us, review us, subscribe on YouTube, um, Spotify. Like us on Spotify. It helps us out there. And also on the Inside Carolina podcast, do what you got to do. Thanks, boys. And Miss Clark. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend? or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.